0: All right, Daniel chapter 1 as we continue our Wednesday night series through the book of Daniel. And so far we've seen how God has, has sent the Babylonians against Jerusalem because the house of Judah had refused to get their heart right with God. And what is mentioned in the opening verses here is not the destruction of Jerusalem just yet. This is the first besiegement of the Babylonians as they take control of Judea. Eventually, the whole house of Judah would be taken captive into Babylon. Initially, though, Nebuchadnezzar only takes a select few of captives. He takes those of the king's seed, those of the princes, the leadership in Judah. He takes captive from among their children. And from among that group, those who would be taken into Babylon would need to look a certain way And they would need to possess the ability to learn the ways and the language of the Chaldeans. We don't know how many were taken captive at this point. Daniel zeroes in on these four young men who were likely just teenagers. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But once the Hebrew captives arrived in Babylon, they would be placed into what I call a three-year indoctrination program. In addition, their names would be changed to honor the pagan gods of Babylon and their diet would be changed, a pagan honoring diet. And While Daniel could not do anything about the captivity, it was ordained of God, it was going to happen and while Daniel could not help what other people called him, he could control what he consumed and so he decided that he would do everything in his power to honor God by continuing to observe God's dietary laws for Israel remember from last week, what they ate not only showed a difference between what was clean and unclean, but it also would demonstrate who was their God. And you'd have to listen to last week's message to really get that, but Daniel understood all that, and so he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. And we'll see tonight that it wasn't only Daniel, but it also included the other three Daniel was not one man in Jerusalem and another man in Babylon. You with me? Where he lived did not control him walking with God. It did not determine whether he was going to walk with God or not. He was going to walk with God no matter where he ended up. And so the emphasis last week was how living a life which is pleasing to God is all about our decisions. It's daily decisions. And we're told we need to die daily. Amen. But it's our choice to make. And we ought to be the same person out in the world and in our homes that we are in here. And this happens when we allow Christ's love to constrain us, to apprehend us, and it causes us to want to have a heart to serve Him. And so maybe you have some decisions you need to make on who you're truly going to serve. It's a choice driven by where your heart is at. There are some things that maybe you need to purpose in your heart tonight. Well, we've covered a lot over six weeks, amen? And in six weeks, we've made it all the way to verse 8. Don't worry, we're going to cover a lot of ground tonight. We'll begin tonight in verse 8. We'll read down through the end of the chapter. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink, for why should he see your face worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall you make me endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenance be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter, and proved them ten days. And at the end of ten days their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said that he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. We spent all of our time last week in verse 8, at least the first part of it, And we need to pick up where we left off in the second part of verse 8 where we see Daniel at first, he had requested that he not defile himself. He purposed that in his heart and now he's taking action. Amen. What we find here in verse 8 is that your heart will lead you into action. Your heart leads you into action. What is in your heart manifest itself outwardly by the decisions that you make. And, and so there are many examples of this in the Bible. I thought of Ruth and Naomi. Ruth's heart led her into action. And Ruth said, speaking to Naomi, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee, for whither thou goest, I'll go, or I will go, sorry. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also of aught but death part thee and me. And when she, speaking of Naomi, saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. Her heart led her in a direction, led her into action. In the days of Samuel the prophet, he said in 1 Samuel 7, 3, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods of Ashtoreth from among you and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve Him only. And He will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. Well, what led Israel to abandon God in the first place? Was their heart. And so Samuel says, get your heart right with the understanding that if they got their heart right... It would lead them to an action. And the action would be that they would serve God only and they'd put away the strange gods from among them. What's in our heart drives our actions. Solomon said in First Kings 5, 5, And behold, I purpose to build a house unto the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord spake unto David my father, saying, Thy son, whom I will set upon thy throne in thy room, he shall build a house unto my name. And as you keep reading in that chapter, you find that Solomon's heart to do this led him to action and he begins to gather the materials and he, he gets everything done through Hiram and all those things there. And after the reign of Solomon, the kingdom of Israel was split into two houses and what took place in those two houses was a result of the heart of the king, of each of those kings. What was in their heart drove them to action. To the north, Jeroboam, he was the king of the house of Israel, He set up a golden calf to worship because he didn't want people going back down south to Jerusalem to worship because he knew their hearts might turn back to Judah. 1 Kings 12, 26 and 27, And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return unto the house of David if this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. Then shall the heart of the people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. And of course, he went on to set up the golden calf. In the process, Jeroboam, he removed all the priests um, in the house of Israel from doing what God had commanded them to do. And so they left the house of Israel. They went down to Judah. And then we read in 2 Chronicles 11, 16, And after them, out of all the tribes of Israel, such as set their heart to seek unto the Lord God of Israel, came to Jerusalem to sacrifice unto the Lord God of their fathers. Their heart drove them there. To the south in Judah, once the kingdom was established, we read of Rehoboam in 2 Chronicles 12, 14. And he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. Throughout the whole process, the the kingdom's The two houses of Israel being established. The Bible is clear that what took place was a result of what was in the heart of the kings and in the heart of the people. It led them into action. And by the way, the heart of a nation drives their actions. Look at America. What a shame. Where's our heart? And this principle is found throughout the Bible. I just gave you a few examples there. Uh, What you do each day is a result of what is in your heart, whether it's good or bad. And we really just need to come to terms with this and stop trying to sugarcoat it. It's in your heart. Sometimes we hear about famous people, they do something amiss or they say something wrong. And now we live in a day where they could have done or said something 40 years ago and they're still wrong. But that aside, sometimes you'll you'll hear them say things like, well, that's not really who I am. And that was really out of character for me. When in reality, what was in the heart just came to the surface. And, and we're no different. Proverbs 23, 7, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. He also said in Matthew 15, 18, and 19, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth. From the heart, sorry I deleted the rest of that, Matthew, we'll just go with Matthew 5.18 because I can't remember if it's verse 18 or 19, amen. It's not only what we say which comes from the heart, but it's what we do. Uh, Mark seven twenty one through 23, Jesus said, For from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. What's in our heart is manifested through our actions. I can tell when I've lost someone's heart out there in the congregation because they, their actions are saying, I could care less to be here. I'm tired of listening to this guy. And I know it's not about me, but according to the Bible... The preacher is up here in Christ's stead. Amen. And I'm just saying I can tell through actions. When we resort to sin, it's because it is in our heart. The besetting sin which doth so easily beset us, it's in our heart. And so Jeremiah 17:9 says, "The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Proverbs 28:26, "He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Well, wait just a minute. I thought you said that out of the heart drives the actions, and that can be good or bad. This sounds pretty bad. It is bad. And that's why Christ came to die for us. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. You see, the heart is born wicked. And by the way, I'm not talking about your ticker that pumps blood throughout your body. But the heart is the very center of who you are. And so as we talk about the heart, we're talking about you. What what ultimately would define you in in God's sight. And, And so that part of us was born sinful. But God through Christ offers us a new heart. And it is through the miracle of the new birth that we receive a new heart. And then we receive the Spirit of God indwelling us. And through this new heart, we gain the desire to serve God and to have a walk with God. But that old sin nature did not go away. It's still there. The old man is still rearing its ugly head. And sometimes we choose to walk in the flesh and not in the Spirit, and we make the sinful heart the center of our life instead of Christ. Therefore, we're told in Proverbs 4.23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. We must keep it, we must guard, in other words, our heart, because our heart leads us into action. That's what the issues of life are. So what we say, what we do, it is all rooted in our heart. And I didn't, I didn't set out to spend this much time on this opening thought, but what's in your heart tonight? So I don't really know what's in my heart. Well, I'll tell you how you can know. You examine your thoughts. You examine your speech. And you examine your actions. And you'll quickly see what's in your heart Those things which please God, that's not coming from the old man. Satan didn't encourage you to be here tonight. But those things that please God, they're they're coming from that new heart that we get in Christ. Those things that please God after we turn to Him, those evil things are coming up from the old man when we refuse to die to it. We see in our text that Daniel had a new heart then. This idea would not have originated from the enemy. He was walking in that newness of life that we get, and it was from his heart that he purposes, I'm not going to defile myself. And that heart led him to action. And so Daniel goes to the prince of the eunuchs, and he requests that he might not defile himself. Now, I want you to notice here in verse 9, that God brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. To have favor means Daniel was shown grace, mercy, kindness, and pity from the prince of the eunuchs. And to have tender love means that he had compassion for Daniel. This is quite a relationship when you break it down. and We'll talk about this more a little bit, but... I can imagine that out of all the people who might be inclined to show any captive some compassion, it would be the eunuchs. Most of these men would have been made eunuchs. And it could be they were likely captives at one point as well. That's often how it went down. Remember while we were in the book of Esther, we saw how Esther had gained the favor of the head eunuch over the women who would be forced to go in unto this wicked king now the bible never says why either either situation they gained favor with the head eunuchs but i think it's an interesting thought anyhow but it's just an observation we can be assured that daniel lived in a way which was befitting of the treatment that he received he wasn't a knucklehead right he had his act together no doubt daniel had maintained a proper attitude through all of this. And he would have behaved wisely. And I'm sure his behavior played into how the the prince of the eunuchs uh, favored him. But listen to me, we have to take note of what Daniel takes note of here. And and what Daniel says is, this favor that I've received, it is ultimately of God. You see that in verse 9? Now God had brought Daniel into favor. And we got to recognize that this is the hand of God. The fact is, people are not always treated the way they deserve. (laughs) Your good merits may not always be rewarded. Amen. And therefore, any favor we receive in this world is from the hand of God. We find this same thing in the life of Joseph while he was in Egypt. When Joseph belonged to Potiphar, we read, And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him. And he made him oversee over his house all that he had he put into his hand. And then as an example that we're not always treated the way that we deserve, Joseph was thrown into prison for something he never did. Remember that? And so he goes down in the jail and we read in Genesis 39, 21, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And we should attribute all the favor that we receive as being a blessing from God, a gift from God. Anything that man may, may do in our favor, it's, it's ultimately of the Lord. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward Him. And so Daniel, he conducted himself well, I'm sure. But Daniel wants us, the reader, to understand, yeah, I may have been sharp, but this was of God. God is behind all of this here. And Psalm 106.46 explains that it is God who causes captives to gain any favor while they're in captivity. And so, as we look at this scenario, I want you to try to envision this in your mind. And and these two men that are interacting here. Here's the prince of the eunuchs in Babylon showing kindness to a Jew who had been brought from Jerusalem, taken captive. I, I think we're safe to assume that these two men did not share the same religion. They would not have shared the same convictions. On top of that, Daniel is trying to refuse what was being given by the king. Not a smart move, right? You with me? I mean, the king's showing him, the king's being nice by giving the captives food. And Daniel doesn't want it. And, And this request by Daniel could have easily been blown out of proportion. And if you've ever been in conversations with people where it's gone south, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, there's a reason they, in the military they say, don't talk about religion and politics. Why? Because it's going to cause some sort of fight, right? And, and so they don't, they don't have the same religion. They don't have the same convictions. Daniel's not wanting the king's food. This could have been something bad. I can hear the prince of the Jews. you ungrateful captive. I mean, just think of the power that this man would have had over Daniel. On top of all that it could have been seen as an affront to this man's way of life and possibly his religion, though we're not ever told. He could have gotten very offended at all of this. I mean, just think about it. Daniel is requesting not to be defiled with what the prince of the eunuchs has found to be acceptable. You tracking this? Essentially, Daniel is saying, I don't want to be polluted like you are. That's how the man could have received it. But, of course, in his wisdom, Daniel does not say it that way. He must not have been an independent fundamental Baptist. <laughs> I'm sure the prince of the eunuchs was smart enough to read between the lines of what's being said here. But notice how the end of verse 8 says that Daniel might not defile himself. You see, Daniel's not attacking this man personally. He's not attacking this whole nation He's saying, look, I just don't want to defile myself. And I think there's a lesson in here in all of this for us. And I've talked over the last couple weeks about knowing how to pick your battles. And that's part of this. And really in context, we could say that this is knowing how to fight your battles. You understand what I'm saying? I know God fights for us, but we we have a role, obviously. Clarence Larkin observed, quote, To this, Daniel had a Courteous reply, he did not assume a sanctimonious air, nor make a blatant display of his religious views. He made no assault on the Chaldean religion and the worship of idols, but in a frank and courteous manner made his request." You see, you don't always need to go in with both guns blazing to live the Christian life in this world. That's reaching somebody, I can tell, but... I just upset the entire independent Baptist movement, but listen, we, we need some discernment along the way, right? We can treat others how we want to be treated. It's okay. In fact, it's actually biblical. But the point is in all of this, God is the one who is intervening in this situation that could have easily gotten out of hand. God was at work in the heart of the prince of the eunuchs. God was at work here to overthrow their dietary and religious differences. You see, Daniel couldn't control how this man viewed him. And so this favor that's being shown, it has to be of God. And and by the way, we can't control how others view us. And so any favor we have, we can't look to ourselves and say, well, it's because I'm so awesome. No, it's because God is gracious. Amen. I'm reminded of Proverbs 16:7, which says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Well, let's move on to verse 10. And the prince of the eunuch said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your face worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall you make me endanger my head to the king. So part of this man's job is to make sure when these captives finally stand before the king that they look a certain way. They needed to look healthy. Uh, and That's part of what they had to do. And, and logically, this man knows if, if, if these four Hebrews don't eat a certain amount of calories, they're going to look malnourished. They're going to look like they're captives, how we would envision that, I think. They're not going to be peppy. Amen? Just talk to my wife when she gets hungry. There's a reason for the saying, eat, drink, and be merry. Snickers rightly said, you're not you when you're hungry. Some people get hangry. No wonder skinny people are so mad. I'm always teasing. But if you took that seriously, you need to go eat something. <laughs> Slim Ben, I see you back there. He's happy though, amen? He's always happy. Natalie said, not always. (laughs) All the teasing aside, this prince of the eunuch knows it would not bode well for him if those he had the charge over end up looking bad. Right? He could be accused of any number of things. I guess they could say, I think you're skimming food. You're making a profit off this. Who knows? He could have been charged with dereliction of duty. You're not doing what you've charged to do, and that would have been off with his head. And he says that. Look, I like my head being attached to my body. Right? I don't want to lose my head over some captive from Jerusalem. So we see that Daniel is met with some resistance. Hey, but get this. Daniel does not conclude that it must not be the will of God. Well, I tried. God must have said no. That's usually our response. Well, God shut the door. It's not God's will. Well, Daniel doesn't do that here. He doesn't conclude it's not the will of God just after the first request was denied. (laughs) But in verse 11, he takes his request to Melzar. Daniel must have a sense. I'm not getting any further with the prince of the eunuchs. And perhaps he didn't want to endanger his head. I don't know. And maybe he had so much favor with the guy. The guy said, look, I'm not dying for you, but if you can convince somebody else, more power to you. Whatever the case, he, he pushes this issue a little bit further and he tries to convince someone else to lose their head for him. And so he goes a step lower. Instead of going to the prince of the eunuchs, he goes to Melzar. He was the one who would bring the food to the captives. In most commentaries, he's called a steward and some call him a butler. I don't know, but this man obviously is the one that, that brought them their sustenance. And so he goes to this man and, and who brings the daily food, and he makes this request in verses 12 and 13. Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat and as thou seest, deal with thy servants. Now, wouldn't you have to agree that this is a very bold move by Daniel? Do you see what he's doing? He's, he's saying, look, you test me, and all the while he's testing God. You understand what I'm saying? He's proving God here. Because this isn't natural. It doesn't make sense to eat vegetables, and pulse is basically anything grown out of seed. So vegetables, fruit, that kind of thing, and it's not natural to just eat vegetables and drink water and be fatter and fairer after the end of ten days. That's not natural. Amen. Does anybody here never like diet or fast or something? That's not natural. Amen. And so Daniel here, he's listen. What he's really doing is he's walking by faith. Look, I'm trying to honor God's word. And I believe that if I honor God's Word, God will honor me. And and so if you'll test us for ten days, we'll eat nothing but vegetables, we'll drink nothing but water. You can look at us, you can look at our countenance, you can compare it to the other captives, and you can see where we stand. So this is great boldness for Daniel and his friends. Psalm 4.3 But know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto Him. And that's Daniel. What did Jesus say? Ask and ye shall find. Right? Or did I get that mixed up with another one? Oh, ask and it shall be given to you. (laughs) Seek and ye shall find. We'll get it straight. And sure enough, God is about to show Himself strong on the behalf of these four Hebrews. In verse 14, Melzar agrees to the ten-day test. And against all odds, in verse 15, the appearance of their flesh was fairer and fatter than all those who ate of the king's meat. And I can't help but laugh at the Daniel diet. I don't know how many of you are ever on that thing. It's popular at times. Somebody's making a lot of money off of it. People are promoting the Daniel diet and they're losing weight, but that's not what the text says. The Daniel diet made them fatter. (laughs) That's like the opposite. It's amazing what would happen when we just read the Bible. Well, anyway, the reason, here's the bottom line, the reason they looked so healthy, listen, was not because of their diet. Now, the diet's good. I'm not against it. But that's not the reason they were looking so healthy and and so much fairer and so much fatter. (laughs) The reason they looked so healthy was because this was God at work in their life. Don't miss that in this. They honored God and God honored them. And the whole point is that they should not have looked this good. You eat vegetables and drink nothing but water for three years and see how you turn out. You're not going to look as good as these men. (laughs) All right. What we find here is God is a debtor to no man. Amen. Now, because chapter 2 is a different context altogether, I feel like I should try to finish this with the three minutes we have left. So please forgive the brevity. I might try to tie a ribbon over all this next week, but in verses 17 through 21, we see what great favor had been bestowed upon Daniel and Aniah, Mishael, and Azariah. In verse 17, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. In verses 18 and 19, they were brought in before King Nebuchadnezzar and there were none equal to these four Hebrew men. In fact, in verse 20, they were found ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And in verse 21, we find that God was gracious to Daniel and that he lived, until, he, he lived to see the end of the 70-year captivity. Now, what's important from this chapter, and I know I've covered a lot of, lot of stuff in this chapter so far, But what's important ultimately and what is the key to understanding this chapter and really to understanding the entirety of the book of Daniel is that God is ruling from His throne among men. Because I want you to notice we're told three times in this chapter that it is God who gave. And I think that's the key here. It says in verse 2, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. In verse 9, God is the one who gave Daniel favor in the sight of the prince of the eunuchs. In verse 17, it is God who gave them knowledge and skill in understanding. Don't lose sight, listen, don't lose sight of who this book is really about. We say that for the whole book, the whole Bible. But don't miss that the book of Daniel is not about the greatness of Daniel. He was a great man, the Bible says so. But it's not about his greatness ultimately. It is about how great our God is. and What we need to be assured of is that the same God who was control, in control in their day is the same God who is in control in our day. That ought to bring you comfort. Maybe even excitement. The same God who cared for Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael is the same God who cares for you. What a thought. In this ever-changing culture and world we live in today, we may be tempted to lose sight of the fact that God is still in control. So how can God be in control with all this wave of wickedness coming over our country? Listen, God's the governor of the nations. And He always will be. He is our great King of kings. And none will ever usurp His authority. Our God reigns on high and He will do so for all eternity. And sometimes when we're really going through a difficult situation, we may lose sight of God. We may be tempted to wonder, God, are you even there? Do you even care? But God will never forsake His own. Listen, He died for you. And if He has saved you, He is not going to leave you. He will always care for you. And so you just need to learn to trust Him. What do we need to keep our eye on as we go through Daniel? It's not the Antichrist that so many want to look for. This is about how great our God is. And don't ever forget that. Well, let's pray.